And when you make a mistake, you have to own up to it. Maybe. As long as you wait until after the election. Wait till they vote. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's the Montana I way. Right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM People Powered Radio in LA. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI News Radio. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio, on the Green Renaissance Network, 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York, on WLPP 102.9. In Grand Rapids, Michigan, on WPRR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe. Five days a week, at least, on the on the uh, on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. An all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Well, you know, uh, for all the talk in this country about politics and about voting and about elections, voting your people in, the other people out, and the obscene amount of money that is poured into political campaigns. Boy, I'll tell you what, for all of that, Americans sure don't seem to give much of a damn. When it comes to the mechanics of democracy and 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 the still ongoing efforts for the right to vote in this nation, you'll recall back in 2009 when Andrew Breitbart, who is now dead, and James O'Keefe, who is not, put together that uh, that phony acorn pimp hoax videotape, that series of tapes to make it look like Acorn was carrying out all, all sorts of nefarious deeds, including helping a pimp and a prostitute to cheat on their taxes and to smuggle child sex workers into the country. Remember that? Well, that entire thing, you probably remember it, but you may or may not know that that entire thing, the entire thing from top to bottom was a scam. There was no such effort uh, by the uh, the community organization that had been around for decades to, you know, help people cheat on their taxes, to help uh, child prostitution. And uh, despite the, the wide airplay that those videos received, not just from Fox News, but from the legitimate media as well, no charges, uh, criminal or otherwise, were ever brought against Acorn or any of its workers, Based on those tapes, because it was all found to have been deceptively edited nonsense meant to look like those workers were doing something illegal. They weren't. The only ones who were doing anything illegal there was, uh, frankly, James O'Keefe and his accomplice, Hannah Giles. 
both of whom had to fork over uh, tens of thousands, more than one hundred thousand dollars in in settlements to Acorn employees, who to people that they had hoaxed and defamed and helped them lose their jobs. But the damage was done. Never mind that it was a hoax. Never mind that criminal charges were never brought against any of these people for any of this. The damage was done. Acorn was targeted by the right for many years, and not because they did anything illegal, but because they were registering millions of low- and middle-income voters, often minority voters, to participate in their own democracy. So that's why the right went after them. And that campaign worked. Eventually, thanks to the bad publicity from those phony, fraudulent videotapes by O'Keefe, funding dried up for ACORN and they had to close their doors. Well, today, today we have news of another voter registration organization that has done yeoman's work for decades in this country, and they too are now forced to close their doors thanks to a lack of funding for the basic work that they do to help to help folks organize registration drives and to, to research and file lawsuits against states around the country, Democratic and Republican-controlled states alike, to assure compliance with the National Voter Registration Act, otherwise known as the Motor Voter Law. You know, just to make sure that voters can register to vote at government offices as required by the NVRA since it was enacted back way back in 1993, and it's still being ignored in some states, and now Donald Trump is creating a so-called Election Integrity Commission. So-called. Uh, it's a voter suppression commission. Many, uh, many people think that it's meant to target that motor voter law, the NVRA, the National Voter Registration Act, to kill it legislatively at the national level. So with all of that in mind, uh, this group, which has just announced that it will be shutting down at the end of the month, that is particularly troubling to me. We'll speak to the group's executive director shortly. He's been a guest on this show uh, many times in the past. Um, so I'm a, I'm a little ticked off about that as we start the show. But hey, uh, speaking of democracy, I hear there was a special election uh, for the U.S. House on Thursday night in Man Montana. D did you hear about that one, Desi Doyen? <laughs> yeah, I think I might have heard a little bit about yeah, that. It, it made some news. Washington Post uh, reports it this way, Karen Tumulty and Robert Costa. Uh, the angry forces that propelled President Trump's rise are beginning to frame and define the rest of the Republican Party. When GOP House candidate Greg Gianforte assaulted a reporter who had attempted to ask him a question Wednesday night in Montana, many saw not an isolated outburst by an individual, but the obvious violent result of Trump's charge that journalists are, quote, the enemy of the people. Yes, that is what Donald Trump, the president of the United States, has charged. That journalism, that reporters, a free press, that that is, quote, the enemy of the people. Now, if you live in a cave and somehow missed Gianforte's assault uh, on Wednesday night on Guardian journalist Ben Jacobs Wednesday night on the, the eve of the election after Jacobs had the temerity to simply ask the Republican candidate a simple question uh, about the Republican health care bill. Well, here's here's a little bit of what that sounded like. Here's not going to be time. I'm just curious. If you okay, speak right with now. Shane, please. But you don't... I'm sick and tired of you guys. The 
last time you came in here, you did the same thing. Get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. The last guy did the same thing. You were the guardian? Yes, and you just broke my glasses. You, the last guy did the same damn thing. You just body slammed me and broke my glasses. Get the hell out of here. You'd like me to get the hell out of here, I'd also like to call the police. Can I get you guys' names? Hey, you gotta leave. He just body slammed me. So, uh, that guy, get the hell out of here guy, that guy uh, is now set to be the uh, the newest elected congressman in the United States House of Representatives. Yes, Gianforte, despite that, and despite Gianforte being cited for that uh, by the police, by the county sheriff, for assault in, uh, in Bozeman, Montana, on the night before his election, when that happened, and when it was widely played across the, across the state, across the country, Although one NBC affiliate there who is being purchased by a, uh, a right-wing media conglomerate refused to play that uh, videotape, that audio tape. Uh, d- despite that, and despite the state's uh, three major newspapers all rescinding their endorsement for Gianforte, he won Thursday's special election reportedly to fill a uh, what had been, uh, before all lot of this, before Donald Trump began to melt down, uh, thought to have been a very safe Republican seat, but it was within single digits as we went into uh, into Election Day and uh, actually went into Election Eve when we heard that uh, when that breaking news of the Republican candidate body slamming a reporter from the from The Guardian. Uh, Mark Sanford Republican uh, congressman from South Carolina said, uh, told the Washington Post, respectfully, I'd submit that the president has unearthed some demons. He said, I've talked to a number of people about it back home. They say, well, look, if the president can say whatever, why can't I say whatever? He's given them license, says Congressman Sanford, a Republican. Trump and specifically his character and his conduct now thoroughly dominate the national political conversation, says Karen Tumulty and Robert Costa at the uh, at the Washington Post. But indeed, uh, Republican Greg Gianforte did win that uh, Montana U.S. House special election after being charged with assaulting a reporter, as the AP put it. On the, the eve uh, before the on election. The eve of the election. Now, remember, in, in normal times, yep. the way this used to be, mm-hmm. if a candidate for Congress had been caught assaulting a reporter, they would have resigned in shame. Well, he couldn't resign because he hadn't yet uh, won the office. I guess he could have resigned as a candidate in shame. He would have resigned as a but, candidate. I mean, yeah. I, I, hey, I'm so old. I remember when yeah, Governor Dean, old. Governor Howard Dean, had to be pulled out. Had to had to be shamed <laughs> by the media for having a because an, an intemperate yeehaw. shout yeah. in the 2004. Just because he said, "Yeah, you you are old. I am old. These are not normal times, These Desi Doyen. And in fact, uh, what happened last night in Montana." Uh, was that uh, Greg Gianforte won, reportedly. They used paper ballots uh, optically scanned in Montana, and according to those reported results, he won a little bit more than 50% of the vote, 50.2% to uh, Rob Quist, the Democrat, who uh, received a little bit more than 44% of the vote. So essentially a six-point margin. Mark Wicks, the Libertarian candidate, received just under 6%. 
Uh, now, uh, in, in, in last November in Montana, Donald Trump won that state by 20 points. Ryan Zinke, Congressman, then Congressman Ryan Zinke last November, he won Montana's one U.S. House seat, which is what this was for, because Zinke is now Donald Trump's director of the uh, Interior Department. Zinke won that seat by 16 points. So Gianforte won it on Thursday night by six points. Essentially, that's a 10-point 10, 10 swing, uh, depending on how you do the math, uh, 10 points or 14 points if you compare it to Trump's totals last year, a 10 to 14-point swing in the Democrats' favor in Montana. Now, if that happens across the country in 2018, that will be very bad news for Republicans. And that's around the number, around 10 percent. That is the swing that we have seen so far in a whole bunch of these special elections that have taken place since November. The Democrats have not won them all. They won a couple of big ones uh, last Tuesday, but those were state races. But they were in uh, very Republican districts. But uh, on average, around 10 or 11 points from last November, from uh, the Republican vote last November, swinging towards Democrats uh, as of now. So there is that. There is that good news, maybe, for Democrats. It didn't result in a seat, apparently, in Montana. But uh, a big swing towards Democrats. Also, what can we learn from the turnout of that Montana election? We've seen a lot of uh, big turnouts for these special election races. Michael McDonald, an election expert with Florida University's Election Project, uh, was looking at the numbers in Montana on Thursday night, said this is amazing turnout for a House special election. He notes that in the uh, 2017 special election on Thursday, there was about 380,000 votes. That compared to 373,000 votes total across the state in Montana in 2014 in the general election. You had a higher turnout for this one single House race, a special election where the results are usually uh, you know, where the turnout is usually low. You had more people turning out for this than you did for the general election back in 2014. McDonald says if levels of voter engagement that we're witnessing in these special elections persists, 2018 could be the highest midterm turnout in living memory. So also, there's that. If you're yeah. a Democrat, you might take that as an encouraging sign. But why did Montana voters vote to elect a guy to the U.S. House the, the, the state's only House seat, even after he was charged with assaulting a reporter. Well, one big reason, one big reason, as uh, McDonald also observes, well, there were 276,000 mail ballots cast in this race that were cast in advance, that were sent in essentially in advance of the, uh, of the assault on Wednesday night. I'm sorry, the alleged assault on Wednesday night. That is more than 72% of the total of the ballots that were cast. More than 72% were cast via mail before the assault happened. So that's one explanation. Uh, and that, by the way, that, that beats even the, the mail-in vote uh, totals in the uh, 2016 presidential primary in Montana. So a majority of votes were already cast before the assault which Gianforte had blamed on the liberal journalist from the uh, from, from the Guardian in a statement charging charging that he 
was the aggressor. Ben Jacobs was the aggressor, despite the audio, which completely contradicted Gianforte's claim. Showed him to be a liar. Nonetheless, even on Election Day, there were enough people that were still voting for Gianforte uh, for Congress that he was able to win this thing. Gianforte failed to apologize for that assault on uh, on Election Eve until after he had been unofficially declared the winner on Thursday night. Here's Gianforte's, uh, let's call it an apology, during his victory speech in Montana. Last night, I learned a lesson. And, no, please, I need to share something from my heart here, and I just ask you to bear with me. And when you make a mistake, you have to own up to it. After you win. After you win the election. That's when you own up to it. Last night I made a mistake. And I took an action that I can't take back. And I'm not proud of what happened. I should not have responded in the way that I did. And for that I'm sorry. And you're forgiven. Oh, that was easy. That was easy. She's not the one he's got to seek forgiveness from. Right. I should not have treated that reporter that way. And for that, I'm sorry, Mr. Ben Jacobs. I also want to apologize for the Fox News team that was there. And I'm sorry to each one of you that we had to go through this. That's not the person that I am, and it's not the way I'll lead in this state. Yeah, because he says so. Rest assured, our work is just beginning. But it does begin with me taking responsibility for my own actions. So that was Greg Gianforte um, at his victory speech apologizing for the action uh, as the Montana way. We apologize. We stand up and, and admit it when we get something wrong. But we wait until the votes are in. And he still did not retract the statement that his office had put out that in the very beginning the accused lie. the lie. The, right, that the, accused the reporter of being the aggressor. That liberal journalist of being the aggressor. And you heard the people laughing in the background as he was. Uh, I'll get to that in a minute. But for his part, uh, Democratic challenger uh, Rob Quist, he graciously accepted uh, the verdict of the of the voters. He called Gianforte to concede and, and to wish him luck. But, yeah, Gianforte's supporters, uh, they seem to have no problem with that uh, assault, alleged assault. They laughed. Uh, you know, oh, we forgive you. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And little wonder. Uh, CNN, uh, uh, Kung La, I think is, is how you say her name, uh, was rep- reporting during the uh, during the voting on Thursday. A Republican voter to me just now, knowing I work for CNN, said, quote, that audio made me cheer. She smiled as she walked in to vote for Gianforte. Alex Levinson, the BuzzFeed reporter who was there for that uh, that recorded assault that you heard, Uh, She she was at the Gianforte victory party last night. She tweeted uh, that a woman uh, walked by her saying in passing, we got to find the right press and flip them off. And then that woman came back to elaborate directly to her. She said, I was a flight attendant for 16 years, but at least my job had some good qualities. I would rather be a flight attendant than be you a-holes. 
BuzzFeed, uh, that was BuzzFeed reporter Alex Levinson, uh, who said that it was very clear as Gianforte began to apologize that many in the crowd didn't feel it was necessary or warranted. And when he did apologize, that woman shouted, we forgive you to loud cheers. By the way, what if that reporter, Desi Doyen, had been you? Yeah. What if that reporter had been a woman? What if that reporter that Gianforte reportedly, according to the Fox News, you heard him apologize to the Fox News people who were in the room. <laughs> there was three Fox News journalists who were in there as well. What if uh, what if that uh, th- th- that reporter was a woman that he grabbed by the neck as Fox News reported, grabbed by the neck and threw onto the ground and began throwing punches at it. If it was a woman, do you think he would have only been charged with misdemeanor assault rather than felony assault? Do you think that these people at at, at the uh, his supporters would have been quite so uh, forgiving of him for throwing a woman down onto the floor and punching her? No, I don't think so. So I don't know. Maybe it's sexist of me to bring that up. But, you know, because oh, it's a dude. So who cares? It's a dude. He's a reporter. Who cares? But it's not just the voters here uh, that, that that should be al- alarming to people following this story. This is the tone set at the top by guys like Donald Trump, who I mentioned earlier. He called it a great win. The president of the United States called it a great win today. So he's cool with assaulters, too, clearly. And Congress members like uh, Congressman Duncan Hunter from California out here. He was asked by reporters in the Capitol on Thursday what he thought of Gianforte allegedly body slamming a reporter who was simply asking a question about the party's health care bill the night before. Hunter said it's not appropriate behavior before adding unless the reporter deserved it. Actually, now that you say that, I wonder if they would have cared if it had been a woman. Maybe they wouldn't have. I don't know at this point. New York Times uh, reports that Gianforte's victory spares his party the short-term pain of losing a reliably Republican seat in Congress, but at the cost of having the newest member of the House majority arrive in Washington under a serious cloud. While he won the race for the seat vacated by Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke, Gianforte still faces a misdemeanor assault charge that will require him to appear in a Montana courtroom next month. Republicans in Washington indicate that they were unlikely to block him from taking office despite the possibility of a criminal conviction in the coming weeks. As I discussed in detail on our previous episode, Congress has the constitutional authority to not seat Gianforte. If Republicans believed in values, family values, taking personal responsibility, they wouldn't seat him. Speaker Paul Ryan would not seat him. However, uh, he Ryan said on Thursday, oh, it, it was up. To, it's up to the voters. It's up to the voters, not up to him. Actually, no, it is up to him and up to his party. But apparently uh, the GOP is is cool. They're cool with it. They're cool with a president who grabs women by the P word. So apparently it's no surprise that they're fine with a congressman body slamming a journalist. Lesson learned physically assault a journalist and win an election. Other lesson, wait until after the election to apologize, if you apologize at all. So as I say, the House GOP does not have to seat Gianforte. They are choosing to seat a guy who assaults journalists if they do. 
The uh, Democratic campaign uh, chair, Rep. uh, Congressman Lugin, said uh, Greg Gianforte is unfit to represent Montana. There's no question in my mind that Gianforte should not be sworn into office. I would suggest if if he is sworn into office, which all signs say he will, that uh, Democrats consider walking out to demonstrate that it's not appropriate to seat an assaulter to the uh, U.S. House of Representatives. Feel free, by the way, to call your Congress member and let them know your thoughts on this. Their phone number, 202-224-3121. you got to speak out. Democracy is about much more than just, you know, voting and sending money to your favorite candidates. You need to speak out and you need to fight for it all the time. Not just when it's about your candidate in, in an election that you care about. A letter to the editor sent to me uh, today by our friend uh, D.R. Tucker of Washington Monthly uh, was, uh, cites this. Uh, it's a letter to the editor published today in the Concord Monitor in response to the new photo ID voting restriction in, uh, in New Hampshire that I keep warning people about for so many years. This bill is SB3. The, uh, the letter uh, starts this way. Every person convicted of voter fraud in New Hampshire in the past decade would fit in a single canoe. Two guys. That's it. Senate Bill 3 is not about preventing voter fraud. This bill is designed to suppress voting and intimidate American citizens. It would deny constitutional rights to American citizens for partisan political advantage. This bill targets younger, left-leaning voters. It's telling that a hunting license can be used for identification purposes, but a University of New Hampshire-issued student ID cannot. The letter from Kate Kanak goes on to say, If you don't care that American citizens may be disenfranchised, perhaps you care that this bill would waste taxpayer dollars, makes more work for election officials, And it violates the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. So the ACLU will take the state to court to block implementation. Lawyers cost money, Kate says. Those funds would solve actual problems in New Hampshire. So, yes, uh, so-called conservatives should be uh, concerned about stuff like that, about wasting taxpayer dollars on things like that. But who gives a damn about democracy itself? Power is is all that matters. And this is, in this case, the first in the nation primary state of New Hampshire. They should be concerned about the money that it takes, uh, you know, to defend such ridiculous laws. That it, you know, to fight uh, these efforts, a lot of money has to be put out. That money is 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 money, you know, that goes to the ACLU that they spend. It's not spent on get out the vote efforts. So, you know, Republicans should be concerned about it. Democrats should be concerned about it. Money not spent on get-out-the-vote efforts, on voter registration efforts, and even the political campaigns of your favorite candidates. And now, yet another voter registration group has fallen victim to lack of funding. What the hell are our priorities like in this country? This group will be shutting its doors at the end of this month. We have just learned that story and the group's president is next on the broadcast. And no, I ain't happy about it. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. 
but we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Please, just a little longer, please. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Project Vote is a national, nonpartisan, nonprofit organization founded, as they describe at their webpage, on the belief that an organized, diverse electorate is the key to a better America. Project Vote's mission, they say, is to build an electorate that accurately represents the diversity of this nation's citizenry and to ensure that every eligible citizen can register, vote, and cast a ballot that counts. There's an idea. Over the past several decades, Project Vote has helped millions of Americans get registered to vote through direct engagement projects, And they have trained countless organizations across the country to run efficient, effective voter registration drives. They have filed and they have won lawsuits in more than a dozen states in the ongoing effort to enforce the National Voter Registration Act, or NVRA, sometimes known as the Motor Voter Law, to ensure low-income Americans are provided the opportunity to register to vote. The group estimates that work alone has accounted for at least 3 million additional voter registrations across the country in recent years. So it's with all of that in mind that I was very, very troubled this week to uh, to hear via email from Project Vote's executive director, Michael Slater, uh, this note. Dear friends, it is with a great deal of sadness that we share the news that Project Vote will suspend its operations indefinitely effective May 31st. This decision, he says, was made by the Board of Directors and the management of Project Vote. It was not made lightly. He says the funding environment for voting rights and civic engagement work has never been easy, and it has grown increasingly challenging over the past few years as foundations have cut back on their giving in this area. The civic engagement environment has been restructured, and competition for limited funding has increased. For a single-issue nonprofit like Project Vote, he says, we were ultimately forced to admit that our current model has become unsustainable. In reporting on the impending demise of Project Vote this week at electionline.org, Mindy Moretti quotes a number of election experts, including Ezra Rosenberg, co-director of the Voting Rights Project at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, Ezra says, we're terribly saddened by the closing of Project Vote. It has contributed significantly to the protection of the fundamental right to vote. Its role in ensuring the registration of all eligible voters was and remains of utmost importance. It is particularly unfortunate for this to happen at a time when voting rights are under tremendous attack. Rick Hassan. 
UC Irvine election law expert, professor, and author of the election law blog, laments, this is, a very, this is very sad news for voters. Project Vote has been a leader in making sure that states comply with the provision of the motor voter law, making it easier for people to register and vote when they come into contact with government agencies. And even Thomas Hicks, a commissioner on the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission, said, I am sad they are going away. They do a great deal in terms of voter registration, and I don't know if there are folks out there to fill that void. In my opinion, Hicks says, it's horrible that an organization that does as much as they do will no longer exist. Well, I agree. It is horrible. It's horrible at any time, but especially now when such groups are needed, I would argue now more than ever, to help shore up our flagging system of representative democracy, which I would also argue, and and I do, damn near every day here, uh, both on the Bradcast and, and at the Brad blog for the past 15 years, at a time that that system is under assault from many directions. Joining us now to discuss this disturbing news of Project Vote's demise is Project Vote's president and executive director, Michael Slater. Michael came to Project Vote way back in 2004, already with more than a decade's experience in community, labor, and faith-based organizing. As deputy director, he helped build Project Vote's election administration program and led successful efforts to overturn restrictive voter registration laws in seven states before becoming executive director of the organization in 2008 and helping in the run-up to that election to organize one of the most successful voter registration efforts in the nation's history. Michael Slater, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is, uh, unfortunately, a very sad and disturbing news for those of us that give a damn about actual issues of democracy in this country. So I, I'm not happy. Usually I'm, I'm delighted to talk to you, Michael. Not happy to talk to you today at all in, in one sense. Uh, can you give me an idea when and why was Project Vote initially uh, created? Well, uh, Project Vote, the first version, was created way back in 1984. Mm-hmm. Uh, and its purpose really was to recruit low-income Americans into the electorate so that they could voice their approval or disapproval of Reaganomics and particularly the attack on the safety net during the Reagan era. Mm. And and this is, so going back to 1984, we, we've covered so many of Project Vote's sort of Herculean efforts over the years to fight for voting rights and, and your attempt to oversee our electoral system and ensure participatory democracy for everyone. But uh, let me ask you, if you could, to, to recap some of the most important. I want to talk about what happened here and, and why you guys must go away. But uh, what are some of the most important specific projects that, that you see Project Vote having carried out over uh, recent years? Well, certainly the large-scale voter registration drives that occurred in 2004, 6, and 8. Uh, the first one, if I remember correctly, collected about a million applications, mm. uh, almost all of which were from low-income African-Americans. Uh, again, in 2006, an off-cycle election, uh, we collected about 550,000 applications, and in 2008, about 1.3 million. Uh, now, we know that all of those don't become uh, you know, uh, registrations, doesn't mm-hmm. result in a registered voter, uh, but the rate is still pretty high, somewhere between you know sixty to seventy five percent for all those applications. So you know that was a pretty significant contribution, I think, to democracy. Uh, personally, uh, I was quite involved in um, 
I'm covering the, the facts around the U.S. attorney scandal and mm-hmm. use of U.S. prosecutors uh, by the White House and DOJ to pursue voter registration drives uh, and uh, other civic engagement work that ultimately led to the resignation of the Attorney General and Karl Rove. Uh, I felt very good about my part in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really that helped, that helped set a new narrative for the whole voter fraud uh, rhetoric that was going on in the country where uh, organizations, right-wing organizations, were using the claim of voter fraud to create restrictive uh, voter registration and voting laws. And uh, I think we've all done, and this is something that you've covered extensively, uh, we've all done a pretty good job in helping people understand that uh, that's just really not a problem. It's a, it's a voter suppression scheme. Uh, I think that's been particularly important. And then just a, a range of work enforcing, uh, as you said, the motor voter law, uh, not just at, at DMVs, but also at public assistance agencies, uh, like those that provide uh, uh, food stamps and TANF. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are the folks that are most often missed in the registration system. Uh, they don't interact with DMVs. Uh, they're not going out themselves and registering to vote when they change their address. Uh, so catching those folks in the registration process has really been significant. Uh, and has, our work has generated very, very large numbers. I think in Ohio, uh, looking at about 200,000 people, uh, 150,000, 200,000 people a year. Uh, Texas, a similar impact. Uh, so I think, you know, looking back, I would have to say just the straight, large-scale voter registration drive, uh, the, the change of the narrative on voter fraud, and, of course, the extensive work enforcement in the NPRA. I And, and uh, I... You know, I, I hope I'm not sure I'm as optimistic as you are about the change in the narrative on uh, on voter fraud. And I, you know, because I think that that has soaked into the national consciousness, at least on the Republican side, that there uh, is still this uh, sort of massive voter fraud. And at, at least to the extent that uh, states, Republican states and, and now even the White House, you know, are able to move forward policies based on this pretend premise that there is massive voter fraud. Um, but if you can give me an idea, well, your letter cites um, a drop-off of funding after 2008. What what do you uh, what do you attribute that to? You know, I saw the same thing at, at, at Brad blog and in my situation, I think a lot of people felt more comfortable with Barack Obama in office. Uh, and they said, oh, hey, everything's okay. George Bush is, uh, was a danger to uh, democracy. He's gone. So, w- you know, we don't have to support the, uh, these organizations fighting for our democracy. I, I don't know. Uh, is that part of what you attribute to the effort in uh, 2008 for Project Vote? I think that was a significant part. It wasn't the only part, though. I mean, one of the big... Uh one of the big reasons we saw a significant decline in, in funding for registration activities was the loss of ACORN. Um, they were the largest uh, field registration organization. I think without the presence, donors were very uncertain how to deliver large-scale voter registration drives. Uh, and then you add to that uh, Obama's victory. Mm-hmm. You add to that a little bit of donor fatigue, and it became a perfect storm. And we saw really a significant drop in large-scale voter registration drives. In, in in if you could repeat that again, I'm having some trouble with your cell phone on this end, uh, Michael. You saw a drop off in in what? Just in in funding for large scale voter registration drives. Ah, okay. Yeah, well, and and yeah, that that Acorn scam, uh, I guess, continues to hurt a lot of these voter registration uh, drives and and efforts. You know, I mentioned uh, Trump recently signed an executive order creating what he calls an election integrity commission 
chaired by Vice President Mike Pence, uh, who, as we discussed uh, not long ago on the show, as Indiana governor, he uh, last year in 2016, as he was running for vice president, but the governor of Indiana, his uh, his state police led another one of these anti-voter registration witch hunts last year. He's leading this commission. Uh, it's going to be co-chaired by the notorious voter fraud fraudster Chris Kobach, uh, Secretary of State of Kansas. No Democratic co-chair heading up that commission. Your thoughts on what that project is about and what its conclusions are likely to be. Uh, some suspect it will target the Voter Registration Act. I have no doubt that the purpose of this is to create a, uh, a rationale to go after uh, voter registration drives, uh, a rationale to go after the National Voter Registration Act, a rationale to require documentary proof of citizenship to register to vote. This is by no means an independent commission that's trying to objectively find the truth. Uh, it is a you know, it is a machine to develop propaganda to justify some later policy outcomes that are in no way in the interest of democracy. The, the Indiana case that I mentioned uh, that uh, uh, Mike Pence oversaw last year, that to me, uh, Michael Slater, was so familiar. It was the exact same pattern we've seen over the years. You had officials claiming there was massive voter fraud going on, uh, you know, pretending that voter registration groups uh, reaching out to low and middle income voters are submitting fraudulent registrations. And yet... Uh, the me and 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 of course there have been no arrests uh, since then. It all sort of went away after the election, and, and, and so we've seen this pattern over and over again. The media seem to fall for it every time, Michael, uh, as it did last year, and it imperiled some fifty thousand voter registrations in the uh, in the Hoosier state. Yet there is no outcry from mainstream media about this repeated. Scam. I think last time we talked, you said you felt the uh, media was doing a better job, but but are they when it comes down to the, you know these these same stories happening again and again around the country? I think that the I think it's a good question. Uh, I come at it a little bit differently. Um, from my view, I see a huge number of organizations and leaders defending voter registration drives and pushing back against these narratives that they're being quoted in stories. Mm -hmm. uh, and I see opinion pieces coming up in the New York Times and the Washington Post talking about how these allegations are ridiculous as part of a larger strategy. And none of that existed in 2008. Mm -hmm. um, there certainly is a little bit of, of uh, you know, hysteria coming up from the local reporters who, who have not experienced this or gone through it before uh, and are not sophisticated enough to understand that they're being played. Uh, but nationally, uh, I don't see that happening. I see much more pushback, uh, and I do see a lot more people stepping up to defend voter registration drives and debunk this. Uh, whereas in 2006, 2008, uh, you just could not find an ally to stand with you when you were under attack. Oh, that's 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 true. Yeah. yeah. No, you make a good point. There there were there are at least a lot more allies now, uh, even if absolutely. On, yeah. Uh, although on you know on that local level, when I saw what happened last year, and so few people talking about it, and very few people talking about the fact that it was Mike Pence's state police force who were running around talking to the media, claiming there is massive thousands of fraudulent registrations uh, that they were finding. And, you know, it it turns out it was just the it was the same old story that, you know, w when there are bad registrations that come in, when people leave off a phone number uh, or, you know, transcribe a, a zip code or something. 
voter registration people still have to turn those in to election officials uh, and, right. and and flag them and so forth so that election officials, uh, you know, see them and check them to make sure they're they're good. Um, I got just a minute or two here, uh, Michael. Rick Hassan of UC Irvine notes in in that election line piece I mentioned that he hopes that others can step in and help with the important work that Project Vote does. Well, me too. But do, do, do you have any confidence that there are other voting rights groups out there that will pick up the work of Project Vote, fill the void that you guys will leave behind and, and file these lawsuits? And, that, you know, and I'll just ex- let me just say, since it's a little hard to hear uh, on your phone, let me uh, explain this on your behalf. You guys file lawsuits all over the country against, you know, in, in Republican and Democratic states alike, forcing people to. Uh, enforce the National Voting Rights uh, Voter Registration Act, the Motor Voter Law, that you know requires you know the g- government offices to make sure that people can register to vote at those offices. That effort still goes on. Those lawsuits are still being filed. Do you feel that those lawsuits will continue even after Project Vote is gone? Yes, those lawsuits, the ones that are in play now, will go forward. There are both nonprofit litigation partners and pro bono law firms that are involved in them. Um, so those lawsuits are not going to go away. The larger question is whether or not there will be continued investigations into government compliance and additional lawsuits because we do see some states backsliding. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, we're in trial in North Carolina, which had been a leader, uh, but then they elected a new Republican governor who really abandoned the state's commitments to comply with the NVRA. So the question for us isn't what's going to happen with the current round of litigation. The question is what's going to happen uh, to future investigations and litigation. I think that's the issue that we're trying to address right now uh, and make sure that there is an organization that is willing to take on that mission and that some folks in the funder community step up and support that. Uh, I have about an 80% confidence level that that is going to happen. Well, uh, I, I'm saddened personally uh, and disturbed and, and, frankly, deeply troubled that Project Vote is shutting down. I wish I had known this was even a possibility. Uh, we might have been able to try to, to help and rally the support you guys needed uh, and, 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 frankly, so richly deserved. Um, and, and, frankly, that we needed as a nation, that we need as a country. Is there any possibility that Project Vote might return in the future in, in some form after being around in various forms since, uh, since the early 80s? I think there is a chance. We definitely have members of our board who are committed to the mission and would like to see something go forward. The question for them and us will be, what does that look like? What will the need be? you know, in two years after the dust has settled on this transition. Uh, But it would not surprise me if there's some version of Project Vote 4.0. won't look quite like this, won't have the same programs, uh, but will be focused on the diversity of the electorate because that is the key uh, to a progressive future for all of us. Where can uh, people, well, where can they donate? Where, what, what should people do here to keep at least other groups like yours uh, doing the effort that folks like you, you and I and, and, and others see as so important? What can you recommend to people? I, I try to warn them all the time, you know, support these groups that are doing this kind of work. What, what do you recommend to keep other groups like yours from closing down here when we need them so much at this time? Well, I would encourage people that make contributions to set a portion of those contributions aside for democracy work. 
there are a number of very good organizations that do democracy work that include Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, the Brennan Center, uh, League of Women Voters, Common Cause. There's a, there's a range of good organizations. The challenge, I often think, is that uh, as, as an emergency comes up, like what we've seen in, with the enforcement uh, or the attacks on immigrant rights, uh, people immediately uh, put all of their available money into those programs or to those emergencies, uh, and they forget about the ongoing work that we need to do in the democracy sector. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, you know, I think in recent years, I'm, I'm wondering if you agree that you know so much effort has been put into the politics, just politics itself, and money given to candidates uh, and political parties that people forget about the groups like yours who are actually doing the work of democracy, making sure that people can vote for their favorite candidates in the first place. I would agree with that statement. Michael Slater, uh, president and executive director of ProjectVote.org, at least for another uh, at least for another few hours, uh, you can find information uh, on them. Uh, they say they will keep up their a lot of their data and their research for as long as they can at ProjectVote.org. Uh, you can follow them as long as they're around on the Twitters at ProjectVote. And uh, Michael, uh, his his important uh, work, his personal work, you can follow him on the Twitters as well at M.K. Slater. Michael, uh, great talking to you as ever, but uh, a very sad day. And uh, wherever you end up uh, after this, I hope you'll I hope you'll stay in touch with us because uh, always good to have you back. And and thank you for all the work that you and Project Vote have done for so many years. Thank you, Brad. It's been a long time. It has indeed, Michael Slater. Thank you, sir. Boy, I, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm quite saddened by that. I'm quite saddened. I'm quite disturbed. Uh, and, and I apologize. It's a little bit hard to hear uh, on his phone there. So I hope you're able to, to get an idea because, uh, you know, the work that they do has been so important for so many years. While everyone is looking at the politics, while everybody is looking at the candidates. Um, you know, groups like ProjectVote.org, and he mentioned a few others, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, Brennan Center, Common Cause, you know, a, a lot of groups doing good work, many of whom I've bickered with uh, over the years on this or that. But the work of democracy, the work of making sure that people can get out to vote in the first place, that they're registered, that they're allowed to vote, that their votes are, uh, that they can cast a vote, and that those votes are counted as cast, I can't think of anything more important to the uh, to the future of this nation, frankly. I know, and and it's it's something I think that a lot of people really don't don't think through what these what these organizations nope. do. They don't just get on the ground and physically contact person to person, street level democracy by getting these folks mm-hmm. registered, helping them understand what IDs are required in whatever straight state that they live in. Yeah. But also, you know, the part about the litigation. Litigation is expensive. Lawyers are expensive. Expensive. And the opposite side, the people who want to keep you from voting, they have a lot of money behind them to oh, yes, litigate this to the last letter, to every yep. last bit. And, and so having this ability to use litigation in order to force governments at the state and even the local level, you know, this is this is granular stuff that, that I think most people don't recognize how important and vital that this is. And, and the, the, the fact that there's so much of the donor class that has not paid attention to 
to this this the voting registration the, drives. The, the donor class, you know, it, frankly, it's disgraceful. It is disgraceful that Project Vote, a group like Project Vote, uh, has to shut down. Uh, you know, people say that when you, uh, you know, when, when they see these uh, photo ID restrictions being passed across the country, a lot of times you'll hear Republicans say, well, this just means you have to make sure that everyone has a has a, the ID that they will need to vote. And you hear, you know, in fact, Democrats saying that, well, we've got to make sure that everyone has the type of ID they now need to vote. And that is that is true. But that means. Less money for voter registration drives, less money for get out the vote, less money for helping people actually get to the polls on Election Day, uh, you know, and and frankly, less money for your for their favorite candidates, whoever that may be. You know, people think about candidates and politics and parties uh, all the time, and they put money into that more and more and more with every election. And I understand they need to. um, But. That money, that dollar spent over there is a dollar not spent over here. And that, in this case, uh, has, you know, come crushing down on great groups, frankly, like Project Vote. Well, also, and and in this atmosphere of a turbocharged Citizens United that has allowed so much outside money from outside groups to in to just completely yeah. overwhelm local races, state level races like the Montana special election, where outside groups outspent on uh, attacking Rob Quist and uh, trying to promote uh, Greg Gianforte, you know, they outspent them. I don't know Huge what it was, numbers. it was like, Huge you know, the numbers. difference between yeah. a couple hundred thousand versus several million. And so people want to, I understand, they want to try to balance that out. You know, uh, when they see those efforts on one side, they want to balance them out on the other. And I do understand that. But, uh, you know, these nonprofit groups who are, you know, really working on your democracy, uh, they need your support. And, you know, they often put out, hey, we really need it now. And, uh, you know, Project Vote is not saying, hey, we're going to go away if you guys don't come, uh, you know, if we if we don't get your support. They're saying we're done. We're out. We couldn't uh, continue that. I would argue is a very sad day for American democracy. Quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. You know, uh, Desi Doyen, I can't leave people with that, uh, with with my uh, anger and my sadness today. <laughs> so I've, somehow I've got to cheer us up before we get out of here. One way to do this is to talk about Donald Trump in Europe and climate change. Oh, yay. Now, That's how a cheerful that, idea. How will that cheer us up? Here's how it will <laughs> cheer us up. So he, so Donald Trump, you know, is going across uh, Europe. He's meeting uh, with these uh, European leaders, and they're trying to convince him to stay in the Paris Agreement. 
They're trying to actually explain what the hell the Paris Agreement actually is, and they may be making some headway. Gary Cohn, the uh, top uh, Trump's top White House economic advisor, said the president is now, quote, learning to understand the European position on the Paris Climate Accord, according to AP. That's good news. Yeah. One potential compromise position, because they haven't decided to pull out if they're going to pull out of the Paris Accord or not. One potential compromise that's emerged in uh, discussions uh, am- amongst the White House involves staying in the accord, but adjusting the U.S. emissions targets. Those are the pledges that we made to cut our emissions uh, by a certain amount. Right. Uh, Cohn hinted at the prospect uh, as he was briefing reporters on Thursday night while Air Force One was flying from Brussels to Sicily on the final stop of Trump's trip. Uh, Cohn said the last levels we put out in the Paris Agreement were levels that would be constraining to our economic growth. Now, I believe he's very wrong about he is. that. That's right. Uh, but let's uh, setting that aside for a moment. AP goes on to report in a striking comment given Trump's support during the campaign for American coal miners. Cohn said also said that, quote, coal doesn't even really make that much sense anymore as a feedstock. Yeah. A feedstock feed to uh, power plants. Cohn was admitting that, that it doesn't make that much sense. He singled out natural gas as, quote, such a cleaner fuel. And he also noted that the U.S. could become, quote, a manufacturing powerhouse, unquote, by investing in wind and solar energy. So maybe there's some change there. There's some good news, right? And with that good news, Paul Simon was on Stephen Colbert's show on Thursday night. They did this little sketch. Colbert comes in and and says to Paul Simon, hey, will you you play one of my favorites? I love that feeling groovy song. Paul Simon said, no, I hate that song. Uh, And then he went on to demonstrate why he hates it. And uh, here's what happened as uh, he and Stephen Colbert sang feeling groovy together. Slow down, you move too fast. Got to make the morning last Just kicking down the cobbles Kicking down the cobblestones Looking Looking for fun and feeling groovy It's great. I don't like it. Feeling groovy. Let me me try some here. You might like this better. Hello, lamppost. Nice to see ya. We might get bombed by North Korea. <laughs> We're getting close to World War Three. So run for the shelters, feeling groovy. The Arctic's melting. Seas are boiling. These aren't the first pants that I'm soiling. <laughs> we won't survive the century. We're all doomed. I'm feeling groovy. Conway makes no sense And even if Trump goes We're stuck with Mike Pence Plus he might win the big one in 2020 Nevertheless, all is groovy 
My thanks to our producer, Desi Doy, and to my guest today, Michael Slater of ProjectVote.org, at least for another day or two, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. <laughs> and thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves to do what we try to do every day. You can find us, follow us, and share us far and wide on the Twitters and the Facebooks at The Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Feel groovy, world. I hate it.